Hey, and welcome in to the Bottom Shelf Leadership Podcast. I am Heath Haney, uh, your host as always, the pastor of Lindsay Lane East Campus. I'm joined with uh, joined by Alan, our North Campus pastor, and Andy John, our lead pastor in, in Athens Campus pastor. And uh, it's awesome to be back together. Feels like it's been a while, but it actually probably one of the shortest periods of times between our podcast recordings. But for whatever reason, that's right. I a lot of like life. I miss you guys. A lot of life that's happened. <laughs> in this amount of time, for sure. A lot of a lot of hunting for you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. A lot of sure. successful hunting. A lot of cold hunting. weather and looking at empty skies. Yeah, Alan, you know he usually says, "I'm I'm here with my two great friends." That is Alan that part. We're just keeping it formal this time. Well, the thing or, I've or noticed, lost status. Yeah, yeah. well, that's we're the, two great friends. Yeah, well, the thing I've noticed though is the more I try to be chummy with you guys, the more you critique me as a host, and so I've just I'm just professional now. Right, like no we're nonsense. not we're not we're not having fun today. I'm going to be honest this with you. I'm just proud that we are bantering back and forth without awkward pauses because I feel like we haven't graduated past that until now. So <laughs> you would think we? You would more professional. No, it's getting the worse. Is true. It's getting worse. Well, we are uh, joined back this month with a guest. I know you you uh, you guys fought with us through January. Um, as we, uh, we, it was just the three of us here. Um, but we hope you enjoyed that, but we do have, uh, a guest here with us and Andy John's going to tell us about our very special guest. Yes. Our, uh, our guest is Dr. Denver Betts. Dr. Denver Betts is from Louisville, Kentucky and has a bachelor's degree in commerce from the university of Louisville, master's degree from central Michigan university in management, and then a doctorate from Nova Southeastern university in organizational leadership. He is twice retired, as we were talking before we uh, started the podcast. He is retired from the United States Air Force at the rank of lieutenant colonel and then retired once again from Athens State University, where he served for 20 years in higher education as vice president of academic affairs and as an assistant professor of business. He served in numerous church-affiliated leadership positions, and we'll talk about some of those. Uh, taught Sunday school for over 20 years, guys, oh, and... Uh, which is which is um, a long time to teach God's <laughs> word and very effective. I know he served as a member and chairman of the First Missionary Baptist Church Trustee Board, and currently serves on the uh, First Missionary Baptist Church Deacon Board and the Brotherhood Organization and Choir. This guy is a super servant. If you're a pastor, then this is the kind of guys you, you want on your team. Um, numerous uh, community uh, affiliations. He is the chairman of the Athens Boys and Girls Club. And then the president-elect of the Athens Rotary Club. And so uh, all of those things speak super well. But I can say he's a, a family friend of ours, uh, a super family man. He's married to his junior high school sweetheart, Miss Tina. And they've been married, he just told us, over 50 years. 52? Yeah, 52. 52 years, two adult children, uh, Denver Jr. and Gloria. And um, they have five grandchildren. Yeah. Five grandchildren. Yeah. Quite a resume. Yeah. I would put that <laughs> resume up at... Some of the top of the resumes we've had, <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, as things go. It's, but welcome uh, in, Dr. Betts. Thank you so much, yeah. About the time I thought you were finishing it, there was just more. There's more. You know, like, <laughs> Keep going. Yeah, I know, I know. I feel like you edited some on the fly there just, just for time, man. And that's and it is cool to be able to sit down with leaders like you and uh, that have, have not only accomplished things, but you've been used by God to, to bless other people. Uh, thank you. And that's the kind of leaders we want to sit down with. And um, so we want to talk today uh, at least about a couple of things. Um, the first one, uh, the thing that that we we talk about a lot in our in our ministry, 
um, are those systems that we need in our life and in our in our, our ministry and our job? Because uh, we're not just talking to, uh, to to church leaders; we're talking to people in the workplace on this podcast. And um, so, what have you found for you? Maybe not so much in the in the personal, but as far as in the in your leadership and um, and all the different roles you've had, uh, how important are developing those systems for you and your staff? Um, and what does that look like? Uh, through the years? I think it's a, it's a very important thing because it's just like anything else. You want to have a team with everything you do, so folks got to be on the same page. You know, you, so so the objectives, um, the one, the things you want to try to accomplish, they got to be well known. So I, I found one of the best ways to try to uh, set direction and to organize things is to make sure we all have a clear understanding of what we're trying to do and how we can try to get there. You know, and, it, and, it, and not to dictate how we're going to get there because Try that alone, you know what? I, I know some instances where I don't know where it was a young guy when I was in the Air Force, as a matter of fact. He was a, a young lieutenant, which, you know, you're just getting started at that point. And he walked into his office where he was with a bunch of senior enlisted guys that had been in the Air Force about 18 or 20 years and says, okay, guys, I'm in charge here. And they said, oh, is that right? And a year later, he was getting out of the Air Force because his career was dead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I found that, you know, trying to get organized, getting, getting, getting organization in the same direction, you got to have a meeting of the minds of what you're trying to do, how you're going to try to get there. Even it's, and I found out you don't dictate that. You know, you try to instill that in folks and let them tell you that. And that way you know that there's a buy-in for what you're trying to accomplish and doing yeah. those type of a things. So I find the biggest thing is to let folks know the importance of what they do, what we're trying to try to get to, and then we all get together and work out how that's going to really take place to do that, you know. I think that's super effective. That's one of the things we talk about, you know, in church work is, you know, yeah, we sit in the pastor's seat, but at the end of the day, if nobody's with us, right, we can have the clearest vision and the, the I mean, God spoke to me last night mm-hmm. and told me what we're going to do. If ain't nobody with me, yeah. it ain't going to get done. Yeah. Talk a little bit more about um, letting them know what they do is important within that role, kind of what that looks like, how, how that looks when you are uh, creating that buy-in and then uh, empowering people, but also encouraging them within the role that they do. Yeah, and I think it's it, I think it starts early on, really, when you hire them, you know, to let them know how important their role is because you know, a company can't be successful, no organization can be successful, unless everybody is moving toward the same goal to do some things. So I found that uh, early on, one-on-one sessions, you know, and get their ideas of what's taking place. And, you know, that way you can instill your ideas, your expectations about what takes place, but about what they think the job is and what they think they can bring to the job, what they can offer, and, you know, try to find out, let them force what they think their skills are. That way, you know, you don't get later on saying, well, I could have done that, but, you know, he didn't ever ask me, uh, those type of stuff. You know, because people have their, people who come into the workplace have their idea of what they want to get done too, you know. And so the, the key is challenging, I think, their expectations and enthusiasm toward the things that you know you really feel you got to get done because you can't sometimes they don't want to hear that from that standpoint of view you know what the objectives are you want to get them online with doing that without really without you want to you want to tell them what they are but you can't beat them over the head with it you know and so if somebody comes up with something they want to do and it's not what you want to do it's kind of hard to say don't say no we can't do that I always said, well, we can't do that, but here's something we can do. Those was in alignment with the objectives of the stuff that I really want to get done, you know. And they used to say, well, okay, it's better than a no, you know, and so yeah. they can do some other things. Yeah, you know, I think that's huge for us is, 
you know, even as a leader to have the clarity of what a win looks like, you know, so what does, what does a win look like for us in the church world? What mm-hmm. does a, a win look like in a nonprofit? Yeah. What does a win look mm-hmm. like in uh, the business world? Like defining that win, I, 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 I really do think that has to come from the leaders. Like that has to come from the top. Mm-hmm. What's, what's mm-hmm. fun then is to see how God places a team around yeah. you mm-hmm. with unique talents and abilities, right? Going back to the body of Christ and, you know, different members of the same body um, and then being able to see that work itself out. And so, you know, the win and the vision is, is, is cast. And I think too, a huge part of that is the, the celebration of, the win, like, and and I'm gonna tell you, I think I, I know the three of us in this room are probably guilty of this. We are grinders by nature. Like we, we don't need the pat on the back. Like we're gonna be serving. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna be in there. We're the first to get there, the last to leave. It's just kind of how how we are designed in our leadership, um, and and to be able to. But in, when we have that mentality, a lot of times we are not taking those steps to show the value mm-hmm. to these people. Like, hey, mm-hmm. I, I noticed how you took this win that we value as a company or an organization right. and how you did this in your own unique way to champion this. Mm-hmm. We, I want to celebrate you publicly. And so I, 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 get, I get all kinds of criticism about this is that I'm just, I'm not an encourager by nature. And so I don't celebrate the win, but what's celebrated is duplicated. Right. And so, and so if, if we got to be willing to, to, to put that time in, not just, you know, look up from the work that we're doing and see the team that God has put in place and then to spend time investing in them to show them that they're valuable (laughs) to reach that win and that, that goal. Yeah, I think it's super important. It's not talking too much. <laughs> I think it's super important because especially in the church business, quote, quote, you know, most of the folks that's working right here don't get wages. Those are voluntary workers. So you got to be very, very, you know, deliberate about that type of a thing because you're not giving them money. You can give them praise. You can give them encouragement. You can give them acknowledgement on the part of their parents and whatnot because they're not getting a paycheck here. You can't say, well, I'm going to dock you for pay. Oh, is that right? <laughs> you know, from, from what? You're going to take zero from zero? <laughs> so it's, I thought so. so for, for, for not profit, not for profit organizations where you use a lot of volunteers and churches where most of the folks are volunteers, you know, they're doing the, 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 the mission of the church. It's very important. I, th- I think to do that because if not, it's, money is not the, it's not what they're looking for. Yeah. You know, so it's an acclamation of what's taking place and recognition. That's a strong point. And I think when you when you like you said when you allow them to to take part in the in the casting of the vision, then there's probably a little bit more grace on the the adoration. Like if you tell me what you want me to do and I don't have a say in it. You doggone better well encourage me. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Because I, I don't have any skin in the game. But when I've yeah. when I've took the time, when you listen to me and I'm doing something I'm passionate about or I know I'm good at, there's actually a less of a need for encouragement in that because I'm I'm somewhat encouraging myself. And so I think that's part of it. But also oh, go ahead. Dr. Best, you have a degree in organization leadership. You you were in the military. Um, you've worked at different places and uh, education, military, business. When it comes to organizational leadership and systems, what do you think has influenced you the most towards um, effective systems? Is, is it something that you've learned out of a book or been taught or is it an experience you've had? No, experiences. 
you know, the, the book is fine, you know, you, you know, for, for the academic aspects of it and introducing the knowledge. I think the thing that comes mostly, you know, out of the books is introducing the knowledge, how to do it. It's, it's the real task, you know. So most of the things I've learned from folks uh, have been people that, that I worked with and for, you know, that shared, you know. Right. And uh, one experience I had, and I was at the Pentagon, and um, I was kind of the, the guy that sat outside the general's office as executive officer and whatnot, and um, it was a guy that uh, who was there was a, was a major general, and that guy was one of the most Christian guys I've met in my life. I'd never seen that in my years. I've been in about, about 13 or 14 years then about 13 years, never seen a guy show, show that he, he was a Christian in a uniform. And I learned that from him. And one day I was talking to him because one of the other guys that worked for him, you've got bring guys in, you military guys, his ranking man system, you know, you got the rank, you know, you run the things. And, man, he cuss guys out and all that kind of stuff, like get you in and ream you out. And um, I was talking to him one day, and I said, General, I said, uh, I've never seen you mad. I said, so how do, how do you do that? I've never seen you upset about things. You know, where's the hurt you ever say was, oh. And I said, uh, how do you do that? He said, Denver, I get the last word. <laughs> so I don't have to be upset. I get the last word, you know. And I think in, in, in the military, ranking man system that works. But I think there's all has, has a lot of validity to it, you know, when we, in, in, normal, in other things, in church life and in civilian life and everything else, because you don't have to get upset. You get the last word. So why waste time getting emotional, getting upset about things? Because at the end of the day that we organize to put together, you get the last word. So why die? You know, why, why emote and why fall all over the floor and, you know, and mess up a perfectly good suit about something that at the end you get a chance to decide how that's going to go. You know, hopefully everybody's on the same page in those cases where you don't. Why get upset? You get the last word. Right. Mm. You know, I, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a lot of profound truth right there. It's, there's, a, there's a lot to mine in that right there. That's right. Um, that's that's worth your uh, that's worth your listen right there. But uh, okay, so so in systems, there's there's the the difficult aspect of systems too. Um, you know, you always make the plan, and inevitably something goes awry. Uh, as as much as we seek to show value to our people, uh, and and especially sometimes I feel like this is even even more prevalent in volunteer roles because they they feel like. They're, sometimes they can feel like I'm doing this guy or, or this organization a favor by being here, so I should be able to set the terms and limits. What happens when the person steps out uh, of of that clear vision that we, uh, you know, that you said as a leader? What do you what do you do to 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 rein that in? Um, and and when and when does the time come that you have to make the difficult decision to hey, listen? You know, thankful for your enthusiasm, but this is—you—it's you, obvious that you're heading in a direction that we're not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and unfortunately, that's the downside of leadership. Sometimes you got to make that rough, to tough decision that you know that you, you can't—it can't—you can't occupy the same space and time with another person. Mm-hmm. So, in other words, either they got to go or you got to go. You know, mm-hmm. you know. So when you're sitting in the lead role, you know, if if you, if, if you don't feel that you can execute the mission of the organization, you know, in, in, in an appropriate way, and you don't have the, the hoot spot to, to deal with the real tough problems, you better get out of there, you know, because there's going to be some times where you got to say, you know, Fred, I think it's time for you to find another, you know, occupation or someplace else to be, 
because it's not good for you. It's not good for the organization here. And you just come down, you got to have that terrorist talk. Because some people don't listen. You know, you know, some people mistake kindness, you know, for a weakness. And uh, thank God it's not a bunch of people, but occasionally get one like that. And sure. when you get one like that, then I think the best thing you guys do is part ways because your organizational objectives aren't being met. You can't convince them to do it. They're just not going to do what you know they need them to do. So at that particular time, you just got to part ways with them, you know. Mm-hmm. But like I said, you got to cuss them out, and you know, but you just got to let them know that, you know, we're not pulling the same direction as doing things. And I right. think you want to to do that. So yeah. when, when you when – you, when, when you, Parting ways with a person when you're getting rid of a person, you know, you don't have to be nasty about it, you know. But uh, but it's just that I think that's the biggest thing. Don't let situations get you out of character the way you handle them, you know, where you smack them upside the head and throw them out of the thing and everybody applauds you because people are sick of them at that time too. Weak people in the organization are people who don't want to abide by the things and, and try to try to follow the mission and try to, be a, try to add to the mission. Man, everybody knows it. Just one, how long can they get away with that, you know? Uh-huh. And that erode your ability to be able to manage and to, and to motivate and to set direction and path and whatnot. After a while, people start looking like, hmm, And then you start, it's just like, a, like the measles. A lot of other people get it too. Uh-huh. And next thing you know, you got an incorrigible situation where if you're not the top guy, you could be in trouble to do it, you know? And if you're the top guy, you said, this is not helping my organization to do those things. So occasionally you got to do the tough thing. And they just, you know. Part, part ways with them, part company with them. I heard, if you let it, I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I heard recently uh, a guy was talking about that, and he said, you know, a lot of, anytime, especially in the church world, yeah. it, it gets hard to fire somebody to let somebody go and mm-hmm. let volunteers go and all of that. He said, but the one thing that's helped me over the years when I've had to have those hard conversations is it's actually what's best for them too. It is. You know I mean, like you're, you're in our organization and you're not thriving, mm-hmm. you're not on mission, and you're, like, this is not good for Absolutely. you either. And so mm. it's it's mm. best if if you find if we help you find or you find somewhere else to go that better fits your skill set or or what you're passionate about and uh, and so when you when you think about some of the people some of the hard conversations you've had to let, uh, had to have with people over the years like what what's the most what's the most common uh, issue is it is it mission and vision drift that you're seeing in them is it just outright laziness or <laughs> I like to call it personality conflict and, and, and duty drift. But a lot of it's just folks just don't want to do, do don't, don't want to do the same things that you want to have them to do. You know, this is it's, 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 some folks have some personalities where they just don't want to conform. You know, they want to do what they want to do the way they want to do it. And, and um, it's weird. It really is. I guess there's a, a certain amount of selfishness involved in that, in, in, to do that. Because, but I will say that over the course of my many, many years, you don't run into very many people like that. You know, mm. you don't. Mm. But there are some that you say, you know, like I said, let me help you find someplace else to be, you know, yeah. and some things like that because I don't think this is the right fit for you, you know. It's not, it's not fair to you to continue to serve here and you're not happy. Right. <laughs> you, know? Yeah. you know, and so I think sometimes it's just the brass tacks of it, you know. You just got to, like, as, as you mentioned, you know, so I think it's better for you to go someplace else to do that because you can't, because you're not. Fit. Sounds like he was real good at breaking up with girlfriends. You know, <laughs> we're, not, we're, not, we're not pulling in the same direction here. It's not you, it's me. This yeah. isn't good. Going back to Heath's, Heath's point, right? Yeah, like, this yeah. isn't good for you yeah, either. Yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> you're a great person. Yeah, you're a beautiful woman. You can do a lot better than me. <laughs> I have a lot of experience in the dating world. I, I'm just going to say, too, one of the um, 
couple of points that you made that if if you don't deal with it, then the folks under you, mm-hmm. not only do they not or they question the leadership of the person in that position who's acting out, but they they begin to start questioning your leadership because now you are allowing yeah. it. They lose respect for you. Yeah, that that's it. And then uh, I've also heard um, someone say too that or ask the question when you're evaluating those who are in your organization. Um, who are, have strong personalities or they have uh, a real talented skill set, if they lead towards themselves is when it becomes a problem. If they lead towards the organization, mm-hmm. then then you've got a, an all-star and you're all mm-hmm. – you can only get better. But if they lead towards themselves is when you're um, – when, you, when it's going to be a risk there. And Andy, Andy John, you, you have a quote on that that you use all the time, the choose who you lose. You've probably oh, yeah. told me that a half dozen times in – Different conversations, different, right. you know, when I'm, hey, I've got this issue I need to make you aware of, you know, and, and inevitably those those conversations end with, well, man, you just got to choose who you lose because yep. there is a danger. There is a, I, I know the, the confrontationally adverse people in the world, especially like for me, I, I am a relational leader to the max yep. and it is hard for me to to sever that tie but when i think about the consequence of not severing a tie that could potentially poison you know the fellowship of the entire organization the entire church um there's a risk in there's a risk in that too and it's not you know it's not fun but it's it's definitely a calculated i think someone said one time the when the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of the potential risk of change is when you'll is when you'll change yeah. right that that it, it can't keep going the way that it's going and um that's just that's a that's a point we all have to get to as a leader because we'd, we'd all like to get along with everybody and we'd all like everybody to be on our team and to love us but just sometimes you know that's that's how it is in leadership i know dr best you mentioned two organizational objectives I, I think in my short amount of time when i set expectations well they know what the organizational objectives are. They know what the responsibility they have because we've communicated it clearly to them. A whole lot less problems in the future because you've stated it up front clearly. It's when you're playing from behind and, and have, having to make those things clear after they've already established habits and they're a few years in, then you're working. You're trying to play catch up then. I, I think you're right because what happens is, 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 is it's kind of like you mentioned earlier about this is not a right fit for you in that situation. Yeah. When you got to, when folks got to see, you got to put it in the, in the raw terms of here's what's got to be done. Then it becomes a director from you. It's, it's all about you. It's not about the organization. So I think it's the biggest thing as a, as, as a leader is at all times, it can't be about you. You got to try to deflect that attitude that's, oh, he just want to, he just want to do that. He just want to, she just want to do, you know. And once folks get to that mode, they don't, they don't feel like it has anything to do with what their job is. It's more what you want to do and how they want to do it. Constantly tying it into objectives like you just mentioned. Then they realize it's not about you. It's about the organization moving forward to do it. And, and you're not just firing artists because you're the boss. You know, because a lot of folks think, well, you get the ball, you get the boss. You know how people do yeah. that type of a thing. So you got to, as best as you can, tie it to things that are objective in terms of the organization as opposed to my personal desire is to have you. I don't like that black shirt you got on. I don't yeah. nice little, little thing on it, but I don't like that black shirt. You know, you wear black in there every day. Why don't you pull that thing off? Rather than say that the material you're having is put getting lint into making machines and it's causing the clog up. But so, you know, it, so, and that's, that's what really objective is in most situations when you're trying to correct behavior. But don't make it be, don't make it be a personal thing for you, you know. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got to fit it into what the objectives of the organization are. To say that's what it's that's what it's supposed to. That's what it's getting in the way of is us being successful. So yeah, you got to find some place where you think you can be more successful because it's not not the right thing. Yeah. That's, that's where you get your your worldview and your cues from God's word. Right? Right. Exactly. The greatest among you yeah. is not the yeah. CEO. Mm-hmm. They're mm-hmm. not the the person who rules with the iron fist. Mm-hmm. The kings and the authorities. The greatest among you is the servant. Yeah, and people know when they're valued. And people they know do. people know when you are using them to accomplish your ends, and when uh, when you are using when when they are being utilized toward a team win. Yeah. You know they, they know the difference, and it's it's easy. I, I know the difference. I've, yeah. I've I know when I've felt those Absolutely. those ways, and that's when you find out you got to tell people go home. You know, and you've had employees and they they're not getting paid overtime. They're there. <laughs> Go home, then, you, know, you know. Go spend some time with your mm. with your folks and whatnot. But you know, you appreciate what they're doing, and you tell them when you tell them to go home, they really feel appreciated because they say hey, they recognize the fact that I'm doing too much work and those type of things. But we do that. And I had a work situation here recently, locally, that I had to say, I gotta get out of here, you know. Go home and relax some and whatnot because folks worked and stayed and did whatever had to be done. I don't care if they came back on a week. What are you doing? And, but they do when you folks get a strong sense of the organizational objectives and, and everybody's on the same page. You don't have to say, you know, hey, we just need to stay over a little bit tonight. Uh, we need to do this. You got to send them home. You know, yeah. That's when you know that people are all pulling in the same direction. You got a good team of folks that's working with you to do some things. And so it makes the job a lot easier. You can be real. real. We can be real. When, when you're nice and calm and you, you're happy, everybody's happy. Well, hey, if any of those folks that you're talking about are hard workers looking for a church home, send them our way. Um, <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> go home. Just go home. <laughs> well, I'll tell some of my volunteers. That sounds great. Yeah, yeah. I'll take that task. Yeah. <laughs> this may not have anything to do with what we were talking about, but you're, I think you said a little bit of this. There, there are some people in they're, – they're not leaders in your organization, and but they're just people. And like at you know, church, we have – Leaders, we have volunteers, and we have people that attend. And sometimes those people that attend, um, they can make a complain or something upsets them. And uh, I've had people bring that in you know, my office and say, I think they're upset about so-and-so. And um, usually I determine whether or not to, to take any action based on their influence. Yeah. If, if they're going to go mm-hmm. over here and nobody's going with them, then I'm not going to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I also, while keeping an eye on it, but there, there are times if, if we know our people and know our organization, there are times when some of our leaders begin to get a little bit nervous uh, that one person being upset is going to burn things down. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really not the case. The, the, if the culture is set, yeah. then one person with no followers will bail b- before they lead others to bring it down with them. You, you said something earlier, too, about what happens when you inherit a culture. You know, yeah. and and you can't always you can't always start with the team you want. Sometimes you start with the team that was drafted for you. Right. You know, and uh, here's a, here's a good one. I know this was uh, I got this this week. Uh, people that are not up on something are usually down on it. That's exactly and, right. And and so that's when those goals setting that goal setting and hey, this is exactly where we're going. But then you also okay, the people that are out then can have that opportunity. Like hey. This isn't what I feel like this is. And then you've got the opportunity to to set that. But I thought, you know, just the clarity of things. I'm learning. I'm learning. Sometimes I can be try to be so tactful that I am not clear. 
Like I can, I can try to not hurt feelings so much that I am not clearly communicating what I really, and then everybody leaves feeling good, but they have no idea what you want to do. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Alan's such a nice guy. (laughs) Right. right. We're doing wonderful. (laughs) We're doing wonderful. (laughs) But, but you talk about having those, having those kind of volunteers. And, uh, I think John Maxwell, uh, the irrefutable laws of leadership, he says, you know, sometimes for us as leaders, we have a tendency to water down the standard. Like we want people, we're in the, we're trying to onload volunteers and people that are, that are in this. And he said, so the, the, what you try to do, what some leaders try to default to is let's lower the standard so that we, the -hmm. gates get wider. Mm -hmm. And he said, and that happens happens. and more people come. But now the problem is now, instead of having sold out leaders, you have marginally committed leaders. When you marginalize the standard, you have marginally committed people. And, um, you know, that was just a, to me, a, a great word in that, because truthfully, I think that's where frustration comes from in leadership is, you know, you can set it when you can set the culture and you, you're, you're in it from jump, but what's different, but how many leadership positions are you in that you, you, you saw it start and maintained it throughout? Like that just doesn't happen often. May I pitch something out right here Please. along the same concept? I think another important thing as a leader you got to do too, you got to figure out the informal organization. You got folks that's working there that have almost as much influence over people the peers, you do. And so you got to find out who those, especially if it's a positive situation. And uh, and uh, I think in a lot of times you get a lot of stuff done through the informal organization as much you can by using them, you know, top to bottom, you know, here's the ranking order. There's always folks in the informal organization, you know, that, that do things. I know I don't call myself an organizational leader from that standpoint of view, but I always felt out over to, to our leaders to say, hey, you know, we – you know, there's a feeling among folk that blah, 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 this type of a thing. And said, you know, maybe I ought to do something, you know, this, that they will lift folks' spirits or something, do a little something, that and whatnot. And a lot of times they say, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, you know. But the informal organization is always some folks that's working. They don't, they don't necessarily want to be promoted. Some of them say, no, I don't want to be promoted. But they, they kind of had a thumb on what's taking place in the organization because they work with folks or hear folks and that type of a thing. And they share that with you sometimes. And I tell you what, and that is a real bonus because then people say, oh, and they're happy. Don't have any idea that, you know, oh, Glenn down the way here who's, you know, was walked up the other day and you're having a conversation. said, hey, you know what? You know, he's part of an informal organization. He's probably an organizational leader from an informal standpoint of view. So you got to figure out who those folks are too. You can get a whole lot done from that perspective, you know. That's a, that's a great point because there's a lot of people not in the – rank and file that that are influential yeah and uh, found too that listening to the people that that care about you that care about the organization um again whether or not they're in the leadership structure those are the folks i want to hear from the ones that actually want to see everything succeed they don't want anything to fall apart they're not just gossiping Mm -hmm. um you know but they but they actually want to see things get better yeah Uh, but you're exactly Mm -hmm. right going outside of the folks that should be in the know there are those uh, that are in the know and outside of that leadership structure that can greatly contribute to the health of the organization. Well, we, I, we went and saw a, a lady in our church this past week. Uh, she's a widow, um, but is a pastor's wife, mm. uh, former pastor's wife. And uh, so I carried our pastoral intern we have right now at church, and we went and saw her. And, and I told him before I got there, I said, the reason I love to go see her is because she's lived what 
you and I are wanting to do. She's walked alongside a man of God for many, many years. And, uh, and every time I go, she, I, I love to get her telling stories about, about her husband. And, um, but this week, uh, this past week, she said something that really stuck with me was, uh, as we were going to leave, she was telling our intern, she said, you know, Samuel, um, a lot of pastoring is, is listening to a lot of people. And she said, the hard thing is to know who you need to listen to and who you just need to nod along with. And she talked about, uh, she said uh, her and her daughter were both there, and they said that that her husband had developed a pastoral grunt. (laughs) And they knew it. Anytime he was talking to somebody, he could tell it was just baloney, you know. He would go. Mm. <laughs> and I said, well, I don't do that, but I'm not. You know, it's just a, uh-huh. I hear you. I, hear you. I mean, it's going right out the other ear, but I hear you, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, but I think that's so true. I mean, especially when you're coming into an organization, you know, uh, Alan's situation is probably a little bit different uh, pastorally because he, he started Lindsay Lane North, but Andy John mm-hmm. and I both coming in. Um, you know, Andy John following an incredible leader uh, here and then me following, you know, an okay leader uh, for me. Talk about difficult conversations coming. <laughs> but, uh, but, just, but just knowing, yeah. having to step into that situation and then quickly find the voices that you need to listen to and figure out those that, that you don't. Um, and, uh, man, it's, it's such a hard thing, I think. Um, and, uh, have you, have you, what have you seen, what have you seen work well? And how, how can you, how can you tell when you're having a conversation with somebody, have you figured out any way that you can tell this is a voice I need to listen to or others where you go, man, I need to tune this guy out. Yeah. Yeah. Are there any markers? Well, you know, I, usually folks that are like that are not very, they, they, they don't hide it very well. You know, they really don't, you know, and you can tell whether it has something to do with what they want or whether it's something that's good for everyone else. And so they're really not folks that are usually that way, are not very conscious of the fact that there's anyone else living in the world except them, <laughs> what they want to do. And it doesn't take initially you might say, mm, but it doesn't take long to figure out who is not pulling in the same direction or who has personal things they want to try to get done as opposed to what the organization is trying to get done. Or even what some of their, especially when you're talking with volunteers and, and, and you know, and free labor, what the folks that are, that are, that are volunteered to try to do, well, they pull in the same direction that they are not, you know. And it's not to say they're wrong all the time. You just got to be careful, you know, because, you know, they do have a tendency to want to do things the way they want to do things as opposed to maybe way some other folks might be a better way that accommodates everybody's situation to do that. So it's a tough one, though. That really is a tough one. Yeah. But it seems like me, you figured it out, you know. Oh, yeah, and then absolutely. You, you, no grunts, problem, and no it, problems yeah, at all. Yeah, Usually those folks are, uh, are usually, <laughs> usually folks that are trying to help you aren't trying to tell you what to do all the time. That's you right. Know? That's the ones important. that are trying to do what they want to do and have their own agendas. They'll try to tell you all the time what to do all the time, especially young pastors and young preachers and everything. Oh yeah. The ones that every now and then, or you ask them something and they share it with you and stuff like that. Those ones you're pretty more reliable, but the ones that's always pushing up on you, trying to show you they, they know what more than what you know, anything else. They're trying to really be the person, you know, that's really making this work. You know, they, they don't hide very well, man. Man, that's good. Because yeah. uh, cause, cause as the leader, sometimes you, you accept, you take feedback personal, right? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. hey, if, if this isn't where I need it to be, if this person thinks this is not where it, I, I, this, this church or this organization needs yeah. to be, then I need to work extra hard to make it that way. Well, maybe you do, 
but maybe you don't. And maybe maybe there are things that that you need to pay attention to, but but ultimately, you know, you've got to do yeah. what you as the leader, and for us with a divine calling Absolutely. in 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 the area of vocational ministry, I've yeah. got to do. I've got to take my cues ultimately from one source. Mm-hmm. I'm taking my cues from the Lord. Now God uses the church, but I've got to take that cue, and I got to know this is this is church planter. What you said is church planter gold because I think church planters, you know, that I have seen, they they wear it as a badge that I'm the busiest human being alive. And a lot of times, it's not because they're doing what God has called them to do. They're 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 doing what man has yes. told them they need to do. And but Jesus, the calling of God is, you know, come ye all who are weary and heavy laden. Right, and if that if that means something for the people in the pew, it's got to mean something for the yeah. person in the pulpit too. Um, and, so, and so, and uh, so, you you talk about that being wrong. You know, you, you may sometimes it may not be wrong. How do you know when somebody? Because we we've got to surround ourselves with people that aren't like us. Oh, sure. Right. So, how do you know when somebody's a good fit for the organization, but they just might be hard to deal with? How do you how do you reconcile that? <laughs> and that is a tough one because. There are some folks that are pretty hot, but they really want to do the best thing for the organization. And uh, so from that standpoint of view, I think uh, a listening ear, you know, know, whether you do exactly what you want to do or not, it's up to you. I think that I think be approachable in those situations. If you've got a person that personality, you know, they're trying to do good and that type of thing. You don't want to tamp them down to the point where they feel like they have a no burn organization at all. Because a lot of times, most of them are not wrong all the time, you know, and their approach is not wrong all the time. So awesome things you can do. And when you do, you know, I don't want to buy and give them credit for it, even though that's something that you wanted to do anyway, you know, let, give them, let them give them credit for it, you know, and, and, and that way they'll, they'll continue to do it, but at least they don't get to the point where they say, well, he ain't about Jack and, you know, ain't blah, blah, blah. He's just trying to do, and they become a, a grouse, you know, and they start to pull down morale and getting folks and, and, and folks are worried about you being seen with them. So that, that affects the organization about things too. So, you know, when, when they're all right about some things or something you can use, because a lot of times, I found that most of the time, people that, that might sound a little bit conceited, I found that most of the time when people come to you with, a, with, with an idea or something they want to do, you probably already thought about it. It's probably timing mm-hmm. is the only thing about it that, mm-hmm. may be in, that you may object to about those type of stuff, you know, on, yeah. on good ideas. But so, like I said, when you, when you execute them, hey, give them credit for it, you know. Yeah. You don't have to do it outwardly to everybody else, but make sure you say, hey, thanks, that was a darn good idea, blah, blah, blah. You, you don't do it anyway. You know, a lot of times you have meetings with folks in the organization, you're trying to get feedback, and you're trying to, trying to do it in a respectful way. Most of the time, they're not telling you anything you don't know, you know. So from that standpoint of view, you, you got an opportunity to, 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 to increase their morale and their motivation and, and their sense of giving to the organization and their dedication to it. I give them credit for some stuff. You don't have to get all the credit. You know, you run in the place. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. your, your credit is is it successful or not successful. Yeah. That's what you're going to be judged on. Yeah. Not by where the ideas came from. Yeah. You know, shoot, there's a lot of good guys, people, women and men in organizations, people in organizations who invented processes that, you know, that uh, look look how many processes that uh, that Alexander Graham Bell got credit for. Well, he didn't do any of them. <laughs> guys that worked in there, he didn't. You know, yeah, yeah. He, he did not. You know, ninety percent of them, he didn't. He didn't invent the electric light. He didn't do any of that stuff. You mm-hmm. know. So, like you said, it's it's um, you know it's you get in that situation, you have to manage it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, we've talked about that mm-hmm. at church. Like when we have 
you know, we'll have somebody that leaves the church. You know, it happens from time to time. And, and that's one of the things. And even if we, even if we see the re, the main reasons why they're leaving as, you know, either issues of sin or things that they didn't handle well, you know, uh, we as a staff, we always try to ask the question, okay, but is there any validity mm. to the things they said? Yeah. You know, I mean, we know, we know what they're saying is clouded by a lot of, Things, oh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. is there any truth to what they're saying? And do we need to get better as an organization in these areas? And so I think I think that's a it's a humble place we try to because when man when folks leave and you get your feelings hurt, you want to say, man, forget y'all, exactly. Yeah, exactly. y'all crazy, yeah. y'all yeah. sinners, and just yeah. head on. But yeah. I think it's important to ask the question. Okay, yeah. is there truth though? Yeah. yeah. And Bell was for the telephone, not the electric light. I had about four different thoughts going by people who took credit for other folks' inventions and whatnot. Uh, yeah, yeah. But, uh, We're getting calls uh, right oh, now. I from know what I know. I know. Get him out of here. He not know. He not from a bullfrog. Let's frog. go to line <laughs> one. We have Alexander Graham Bell's grandson. Correct it, sir. So, you know, one of the things that has been modeled here at Lindsay Lane for me, uh, I think leaders sometimes default. They want they want to lead with people that they like. Yeah. yeah they want to lead with people. And, and usually when they like, when you like somebody, it's because they're a lot like you. But the problem is you yeah. share weaknesses when you do that. And so uh, something one of my mentors always told me is he said, Alan, you were somebody's weirdo. And he said, he said, I said, okay. And he goes, well, hang on. You're somebody's, somebody thinks what the way that you approach things is really strange. And, and I said, and, and so I was like, okay. And he's like, cause chances are you, there are people that you know, that you think, dude, the way they approach things, they are weird. And he's like, <laughs> those same people are looking at you saying yeah. you're weird, you know? And so, and so it, like you said, it's not that it's wrong, not that they're wrong, but it, but we need that perspective. And what I love when I came on staff here is I, I don't know of a more diverse personality set than who were some of the key leaders here at this church. And brother Dusty bring, brought his, uh, strengths and his set of weaknesses, but he surrounded himself with people that were remarkably unlike him. They could coexist, and because that's the trick, can you coexist with those with those people? But he, they they genuinely loved one another, and they all had equal voice and all brought valid perspective that makes a robust leadership team. Yeah, because they were all going in the same direction. They they yeah. wanted to bring. Glory to God and good to man, right? They were they were trying to build the kingdom of God in the church that they loved. And I know, you know, we we've talked about different leaders that that we have around us. And um, even looking into your team, some of those guys are like you, and some of those guys and ladies are not like you. And um, you know, but the value that they add because they do represent more people in the church that are like them. I know for for yeah, me, uh, the the first year that uh, our connections pastor Greg Wise and I began to work together at Lindsay Lane East. Um, I made a statement, which was a uh, you know relative to what we could do as a church, and uh, you know we were reaching people or something like that. And I said, you know, I think we could have a good crowd. And he, you know, Greg made a statement like, I think we could fill up like five footballs worth, five, five football fields worth. And I was like, I don't know about that. I don't, I don't think we can fill up five football fields worth of people. And he, he seriously looked at me, goes. Lord, may my pastor never say that again. <laughs> and I remember at that moment going, I got to have a faith voice around my table because usually I'm, I'm thinking the wisdom part, yeah. and so I need the faith part. And if we've only got wisdom around the table, That's we right. don't have anybody saying things, factoring things in that we're not bent towards or hardwired towards. And so 
and then the people, there are also people that I've, I've learned that, you know, we, we probably not going to hang out together on the weekends. Uh, we're, we're probably not going to go and, you know, do the thing. We enjoy different things anyway, yeah. but, um, but their, their viewpoints are solid because their life is invested in the same thing your life is invested in. It's just two different personalities. And, and if you have that diversity of personality, like you mentioned, that, that enables you to reach more people and connect with more people and get more people plugged in. It really does, guys. You know, you can't have them all. You know, you can't have all the personalities. They, they got a name for folk like that, you know. <laughs> so, 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 you know, you can't have them all. So those, it is, and you know, if, if, if I, I'm, I shouldn't say this. Some folks that are very detail-oriented, you know, like accountants and folks like that, you know, I found out early on, I was an industrial engineer and I came to the Air Force, you know, and I found out early on, I hated cranking numbers all day long. But I had some other guys, the guys I want to go to lunch with, that loved it. Right. You know, and so, man, we got along well. He's my buddy, you know, mm-hmm. and because, not because he, I was using him, but because he had a skill and he had a he, he had attention to some to some things that I didn't really didn't fit my personality very well. So you got to realize who you are, and then realize how you have with it because everybody who's different than you is not bad, right. you know. And and everybody don't want to get into the nitty gritty details. And some people are big picture people, and and some people are doers and never have an idea. But you can stick them on a task and they'll take care of it. You got to realize who those folks are. They all a part of the organization. Do that's what I think is important that people don't surround themselves with people like them, you know. I talk too much, you know, so it's good to have a nice, quiet person around who just listen and walk off and not worry the devil out of everybody, you know, but that's they my do. wife, they by the way. Your wife is the listener? The quiet one that doesn't bug the devil out yeah, of Yeah, I got one, too. I got one. Unless we are alone, and then she seems to have more thoughts at that point. Yeah, yeah. Are we back to the same woman? But it's funny, though, that's when your boss comes to you and says that, hey, Denver, we're going to move you from point A to point B. We don't care where you're coming out. We just want Tina to come, you know? (laughs) But but you do, and I think it's it's, it's, it's appreciating, you know, the gifts and the different personalities and attributes of the people. And if you appreciate them, then you can always do right by them. That's right. But it's the ones who just kind of, you know, stick a a dynamite in the organization. Those ones you got to part you know, yeah. company with, but you're just finding that sweet spot for people. Like it's not using them. It, you, people crunching them numbers. There are people that get great fulfill, fulfillment Absolutely. out of they that. Do. Yeah. So I want to help them find that fulfillment Absolutely. in that yeah. organization. Sure. Absolutely. I, I, well, I heard this recently too. A guy was talking about, uh, talking about hiring the right people. And that was what he said was, he said too many people just hire off a job description. And he said, there's a lot of different personalities and a lot of different passions of people they can all do the same job. Mm-hmm. He said, if all you're doing is looking at a job description, you may get the wrong person. The most effective person in that job, but they don't fit the team. Yeah. And uh, and he just he, he, he was challenging in us when we're hiring as, as a church to not only have a job description, but to have a profile, just Absolutely. a one-paragraph description of what kind of personality you're looking for and and uh, just what kind of, uh, of passions you're looking for in that person. And so then you build a team that works together as well. Play some money ball. 
Yeah. Is it money? Ah, yeah. Yeah. Movie Moneyball. You'll never see it. I've never seen it. Are you serious? I've never seen it. Everybody says it's awesome. How are you working today? Are you going? We got time. Let's, let's, uh, we'll put it on the the sanctuary on the big TV. I love it. (laughs) Billy Bean, man. I know. Yeah, it's so good. There's some leadership principles there, too. Oh, Dr. Betts, we've had you at Lindsay Lane East before and with some uh, leadership track development. And, and you talked about your own personal education, and, and you talked about your mother. Um, I just remember your personal experiences. Would you share that with us, just how, how instrumental she was in, um, in, in not only your uh, graduation from high school, but, but your education thereafter? Share with us a little bit about that, please. Yeah, you know, and it's a, and it's a, and I think about it often, you know, and um, my mom passed away in, in, in um, 2016, you know, at the ripe old age at 96, I wish she had made 100, oh, wow. you know. I wish she had made 100, man. Great lady. But she did. And as, as a child, my mom was was born and raised in, in Lambstone County, Alabama. And uh, her and my dad left here in the 40s to go to Louisville to industrialize jobs, get away from the family farm and whatnot. And so we, I, I was born and raised in Louisville. But she always talks about a childhood and a frustration with not being able to get past the eighth grade because that's, that's you know, that, that's the, as far as they could go during that particular time, you know, to do that. And uh, she always talked about the frustration about doing that. So she always imparted a lot of personal philosophy about things, about some of the things you're talking about here, about people and things like that. But I always I, I, I thought she was the smartest woman in the world. I really did. My mama, I thought, I said, mom knows everything, you know. And so I kind of made it my mind early on. I want to get as much education I could get because she didn't get an opportunity to do it, you know. And so I remember I was the youngest of seven kids, and she took me down to the ring store to buy me a high school ring. And the guy says, "This bet you didn't bought so many rings down here because she, all the kids, you gonna get a high school diploma, well, you know, you don't do that." And we said, "I'm gonna give you." I, she, that day, she bought me my um, my class ring, cost me twenty seven dollars. She said, "I'm gonna give you a discount. You didn't bought a ton of rings down here." But I always used her experiences and heard what she said about moving forward, you know, educationally wise, trying to do all the things you can do and, you know, and a lot of common sense things about that. And so I'm convinced today that the reason why I have a terminal degree was because looking at mom and mom wanting to keep pushing your father and do some things, you know, I still wear my high school ring, mm-hmm. you know, she bought me, you know, I said, I'm not replacing that with any other class rings and anything like that because Think about what mom used to say to me, and such a, she's such a strong person, you know. She really was, and a lot of good common sense, very spiritual woman, you know. So I went to two vacation Bible schools every summer. <laughs> yeah, and her insisted, you go to, but she did, and I think the spiritual aspects of it, it was not really ever that, that personal for her. It was always about, and you guys in that business, you know, it was always about, the spiritual aspects of what would God have you to do? You know, what's, what is what is your relationship with Christ and how should you import that in everything that you do and how should you rely on that, you know? And I prayed a lot in school. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but really, though, but she did. And I think the, the under, it, it always kept me humble. It really did. It kept me humble. It, it really did because you realize that, you know, what you do is not you. It's what you're doing what God has, has reflected you to do. Amen. So like, it keeps you from going out on them and thinking, oh, I've done big things I'm doing. It, it makes you, keeps you more centered on what takes place. Also keeps you on knees quite a bit, too, to make sure you, you stay in that position where it is. But, but mom was an extremely strong person, and she motivated, and, and she, she talked to us a lot about things and about experiences and everything else, and, and she um, about respect and self-respect. 
and respect, especially respect for other folks. Uh, she was a big believer in people. You know, she just helped everybody she could help and that type of thing. So I, I think that aspects of it, I don't know if that was my basic personality, whether mom implanted that one in me, you know, but because, uh, well, I got six siblings. All of them, happy <laughs> family. No, but it, it made an impression on me, and it, it served as motivation for me. You know, her strength and her care for people, consideration of folks, and and um, and, and um, she was no nine times people that, that abused people and that type of things like that. Even if they abused her, she didn't. And uh, sometimes I say, "But I'm punching her in the mouth." No, but you know, but <laughs> yeah. but, but she didn't. And I think temperament. She taught me temperament as much as anything else. You know. Um, personal, emotional aspects of it. Because, you know, she didn't have a big scholastic background, you know, from that standpoint of view. She'd say, you do your homework. But after I got at a certain point, she didn't know if I was doing it right or not, you know. But she used to do that homework, do that type of a thing. So she instilled concepts and ideas and ideas and ideals, and I think in me more than anything else, you know. I'll ask you, too, you, you know, because your resume we read at the beginning, um, you've taught Sunday school for 20 years. You know, for for our for our group leaders listening to this podcast or any volunteer out there, you know, your your resume would say that you're too busy, or your resume could you you would very well be justified to say I'd like to come and listen to somebody else or lead less and let somebody else pour in. Mm-hmm. T- talk a little bit about why why for so long you have uh, taken on that uh, important role in the local church. Mm-hmm. A guy, and when I was at the first church that I joined, I was a kid, you know. I think I joined church when I was 11 or 12. And I was taking Sunday school classes from him, and he was he kind of ran the Sunday school program. And he came to me when I was about 14 and says, Denver, I want you to start teaching Sunday school. I said, I can't teach Sunday school. He said, no, just the little kids and odds and anything. You can do it, you can do it, you can do it. And he pushed me into doing that. And I found that I really enjoyed doing that, you know. And... Um, uh, and, and he, uh, this guy went on to be a minister and, 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 and time went on, but he was, he was a younger guy. But he did. I, I think he implanted something in me that, you know, that, that you know, if, if you think, if you know something, if you hear, you know, try to help other people, you know, to get to the same place where you are. And it pushed me to, from a faith standpoint of view, and it pushed me into a connection standpoint of view because the more I studied to try to teach the Sunday school classes, the more I, I came to rely on, 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 who God is and, and what he is in your life and things like that. So mm-hmm. I always felt as long as I could do it, I would try to give that back, you know, and, and about the experiences of doing that and what I've learned over the years and, you know, and things like that. And, and from a faith standpoint of view, I think it's kind of motivated me to do it. So I always like to do it, you know. I really, really have. I never thought about it too much, you know, but but I, that, I think that's why I like to do it because that's how I think it's selfish too. I think that benefited me because it kept me in the sure. Bible. Absolutely. It kept me looking at things from a spiritual standpoint of view and not from a personal standpoint of view. Yeah. And so I think it, it's kept me centered over the years. And sometimes if you don't say something, you forget about it. So teaching Sunday school gives me an opportunity to constantly review those things that I learned that carried me through to the point to where I am now. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think that constantly repetition and making sure you're trying to express it to others keeps it in the forefront of your mind, too. If not, you know, stuff goes to the back if you don't use it in a long time. Renewing your mind, right? That's right. Renewing your mind. Absolutely, yeah. So uh, just to kind of close out our time, this is my favorite part. I don't know if it's anybody else's favorite part, but it's my favorite part. Just some rapid-fire questions. Uh, this is the easiest part of the day uh-oh, for sure. Uh-oh, So um, I th- we're, we're going to talk about favorites today. Number one, what is your favorite season? Spring. 
probably fall, late fall, early winter. Fall. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna go like you said. Uh, but late, I like spring too. <laughs> you do? Yeah, I, I like I like to hunt. <laughs> winter <laughs> and summer, I don't. I don't care if Nobody they. Likes I don't care if they die. No. Um, spring is fall. <laughs> Give me Christmas. I gotta have Christmas in there. So Sorry. basically, he has allergies 100 percent of the time. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Uh, <laughs> your your favorite restaurant? Ooh, White Castle. <laughs> oh my man! Wow, so you're starving over here. Yeah, I know it, man. I'm not going to Nashville every now and then. <laughs> right. I mean, that shocked me. I, mean, was, I don't know yeah. why it shocked me because I mean, you're just a regular guy like anybody else. Yeah. But I mean, White Castle. That because if you compare, what would you compare White Castle to, guys? What Crystal. Would, Crystals. Crystal. Crystal. Yeah, there's oh, a lot man, of there's a lot better burger out there. I just want to let you know that. I don't know. Yeah, no, no, yeah, yeah, you're gonna say dubs, yeah. but that ain't the better burger. Um oh, oh, come on then. Uh I'm 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 well I have it's it's well documented how much I'm not a fan of dubs. Uh, <laughs> we love dubs here at Lindsay Lane Baptist Church. Yeah. Rose Grill, man, as far as here. Love Rose. Rose. That's good. He's yeah, good. if I got my options, I'm going to drive to Huntsville, and we're going to eat at Balm Hours, yeah. and I'm going to have some wings and fries. And your wife's going to be mad at you because you're watching the TV the whole time. Man. That's, Balm is good. That's what happens when I go. <laughs> That's right. Rosie's Cracker Barrels on me. White Castle just shocks me right oh, now. Man, I appreciate your honesty, though. Yeah. I, I think, I think uh, it's because absence makes the hot go finder, you know? Yeah, <laughs> we only get it so often. Uh, favorite sports team? Ooh, I got to say, Dodgers. That's where my nephew plays, you know. Right. And so, uh, so for those of you who don't know, yeah. Dr. Betts' nephew is Mookie Betts. Some of you may have heard of him. He's kind of a big deal. <laughs> I was, uh, he didn't say favorite baseball player. I was definitely yeah, going we to the <laughs> That's awesome. As a Braves fan, though, it's it's difficult. When yeah, it's because, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, cheer for him, but I don't he's want He's literally the moment, momentum changer <laughs> on the team, man. The uh, favorite book. I'm, I'm gonna uh, the Bible is well, I, I, yeah. 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 we feel like people are gonna have yeah. to say, well, I yeah. actually yeah. like yeah. the Bible the best. Uh, no the hanging fruit, there, man. That's no hanging yeah. fruit. Why the Quran, of yeah. course. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I had to probably looking back on all the books and the one I remember the most of, and maybe because I hear more about it. What's Killer Mockingbird? Mm. You know. Wow. Mm-hmm. What? What? Uh, how old were you when you read it for the first time? I was in the fifth grade. And then I read it again in the eighth grade because I didn't understand everything I thought I read in the fifth grade, you know? <laughs> yeah. so good you yeah. read it again. Yeah, it was. You know, it was interesting. Awesome. You have a favorite book? Yeah, I mean, my favorite, like, spiritual book, Lead, the Paul David Tripp, man, just recently came out. Man, I'm, I, I'm probably just, what have you done for me lately? Just reach recency bias, but that's a great book. Yeah. Uh, that's a tough one. Favorite book. I don't know. It's really more what I'm reading. Recent, uh, what? Yeah, that's what it would be. The one, one of my favorites, because um, you know, I'm, I'm not a great sit down and read all yeah. bunch of books, but uh, the longest day is uh, oh, one of my favorite okay. books. Mm-hmm. I remember mm-hmm. opening it and and reading it and read it from cover to cover quickly, mm-hmm. and just the history in World War Two. And yeah, it was it's great. So I really, Pete doesn't have a favorite book. We can move on, but uh, I really like like White Fang or like Red Bag of Courage. <laughs> those books, and seriously, I like it, man. Uh, <laughs> White Fang? Have you never seen? You never heard White Fang or Call of the Wild? Yeah, yeah I'm with you. Come yeah, on, man. man. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> All right, puzzle uh, books. That's my favorite. Puzzle Look, books. I thought this was the same place. He said White Castle, so I thought this was the same place. Favorite subjects in school. 
Actually, psychology. Really? Yeah. In high school, you know, I I really loved that, you know, and got to taught almost almost majored in psychology, and then realized that I couldn't make any money doing it. You know, <laughs> no, but really though, I, I it was psychology. Anybody that says psychology is their favorite, I'm glad we're, we answered that question on the back end of the conversation because if we would on the front end, I would have felt like he'd been reading me the entire time. Nonverbal cues. Yeah. Like, what does he think about? I, I can't even look at him right now. I feel like he's, he's in my head. What, what was y'all's favorite? Math, absolutely. I love math. I'm a, maybe I'm weird, though, but I really like yeah. math. Uh, yeah, algebra, geometry, all of it. Uh, really? This, math for both yeah. of y'all? Geometry is my least favorite math, but... Yeah. I, I love what I too. Algebra was my favorite, man. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. It just came, it, mainly it came easy to me, mm-hmm. which was a, a big part when I'm in high school. You know? mm-hmm. But in college, in college, I took a lot of economics courses, mm-hmm. and I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Uh, kind of just looking at, at business and the, the backside of business was really interesting. Um, almost had enough for like a minor in economics, mm-hmm. um, UAH. Well, I've done. You know, being in the people business, that's kind of interesting. You know, the, the yeah. exactness of numbers, you know, is yeah. really interesting. Yeah. yeah, I did not know that about y'all. Mine's history. I, I was terrible at math, so <laughs> didn't want to see another math book ever again. Uh, favorite band? you have a favorite band? Musician? Artist? Boy, it, it, that's, that's a hard one, you know, uh, because you like a certain type of music and everything, you know, all that music is good to you. So it's hard to just pick the number one person probably I like more than anything in that in that group. The band was probably, oh. This is a hard one. It's very broad. Yeah, yeah, it is. And, uh, but Confunction, when they were around in the, um, in the um, late 70s, early 80s, you know, I still listen to some of their music now because I just thought they had a perfect blend of vocals and, and the band was just really good, you know. Did you but say that, consumption? Confunction. Confunction. Yeah. Have y'all yeah. ever heard of mm-hmm. Confunction? No. Y'all too young, you know. What is that? It's a funk. Funk. Oh, gosh. It's like I said, it came out in the late 70s. and Consumption is like a terrible disease. That would be a terrible name. Yeah, would, you know. Me and Alan and Andy John are starting a band called Consumption. I, I think about it better than function. C-O-N. We're a real we, we, we kill it every night. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I've never heard They were around before you guys were born, you know. Yeah. <laughs> mm. I, remember, uh, I remember Brother Dusty one time mentioned a, he threw out a band's name like Steppenwolf. Yeah. Yes. Which I, I've heard of. Oh, yeah. uh, uh, first did that, I was like, I've never know. heard of that band yeah. either. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have a favorite band? Yeah. yeah. I like Journey. I really do like Journey. Yeah, did any any. Uh, so I grew up. My dad was a big classic rock fan. So in that Steppenwolf mm-hmm. era, like that. So that's what I grew up listening to. I like um, to dream. <laughs> there you go. Right, so we got because Doctor Best his vocals. He sings. Oh, well. no. okay. <laughs> he sings. But if you want to give us a little bit of composure, uh, but but he's definitely a great yeah. uh, singer as well. That's awesome. Um, that's all the rapid fire questions for today. <laughs> Oh, very cool. Uh, well, Dr. Best, thanks for being here with us, and, and we appreciate so the time that you yeah. took out to carve. Uh, I know I'm walking away with, with things I want to reflect on and I want to kind of meditate on uh, for my leadership, and, and I pray that those listening, uh, that we've helped uh, everybody grow as well. Uh, so take some time to, to jot down some notes from the podcast, and, and um, until next time, keep leading. <laughs>